Today's important because there are two competing voices in your life. Lady folly and lady wisdom. And both of the voices are calling out to you. Both of the voices are saying, follow me. So the question is, which one will you choose? And you say, well, of course, I'm going to choose lady wisdom. I want to walk down the path of wisdom, not down the path of foolishness. Why would I walk down the path of foolishness? But here's what I would say. Don't be so quick to think you are on that path of wisdom. Don't be so quick to think that you haven't been tricked down this path of foolishness because here's what happens. Lady Folly is seductive. She's desirable. She's tricky in that you jump on this path, her path, the Lady Folly's path, and you don't realize you're on it. And Lady Folly offers a quick delivery while Lady Wisdom says, wisdom takes time. Lady Folly says, I can give you everything you want right now. And you become lured in. So we're in Proverbs chapter 9. This is the last of the first part. This is the climax part of the first part of wisdom, the foundation of wisdom. Here's what Proverbs 9 says. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beasts. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in the town. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine that I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. Whoever corrects, this is, this is the middle part, this is part middle part between lady folly and lady wisdom. Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse, and he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man and he will increase in learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is insight. For by me, your days will be multiplied and years will be added to your life. If you are wise, you are wise for yourself. If you scoff, you alone will bear it. The woman folly is loud. She is seductive and she knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. She takes the seat on the high places of the town, calling to those who pass by who are going straight on their path. Whoever is simple, she says, turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he who does not know that, but he does not know that they are dead in there, inside of her house, and her guests are in the depths of Sheol. Now someone was, someone last week was talking to and the person was reading ahead which is awesome. You should always be reading ahead, always be prepared of what we're doing. So we're walking through Proverbs, keep reading. And he said, I've read chapter 7, 8, and 9, and it was so confusing trying to understand what was happening. And it is confusing. There's a key to understanding our chapter here. And the key is to understand that wisdom and folly are being personified. And Wisdom is being personified as lady wisdom. Folly is being personified as lady folly. But you have to be careful here because here's what you might say. If, if you're a woman, you say, ah, yes, lady wisdom. This is proof that women are smarter than men. 
And then if you're, if you're a guy, you say, ah, see, lady folly. This is proof that women are foolish drivers. And, and if both of you would be making a huge mistake if you did this, because here's why. The reason that lady wisdom and lady folly are referred to as ladies is because of the setting. So in the book of Proverbs, the setting is this. It's kind of two settings and it's changing in and out, but primarily the two settings are this. It's a school of wisdom where men, wise men, are teaching young men wisdom. And, or, it is a household where the fathers are teaching their sons wisdom. So this is the setting of the book of Proverbs. So that's why it's being referred to as lady wisdom and lady folly. And what else is so fascinating is that the way that both lady wisdom and lady folly are being referred to at times has very sexual overtones. And you say, well, of course, it's a bunch of guys at a school of wisdom. What else are they going to talk about? Of course, that's what the conversation is. Of course, there's sexual overtones. It's a bunch of guys talking. But no, that's still wrong But at the same time because here's what it's getting at. It's getting at our desires. Wisdom is appealing to our desires. So here's what you see. Chapters 5, chapter 6, and chapter 7. Here's what happens. The wise teachers are saying to the young men, watch out for the adulterous woman. Chapters 5, 6, and 7. And you read that, and you're like, okay, well, I, I understand. I mean, that's good advice. Young men should watch out for the adulterous woman. That's really good advice. But the, the wise teachers keep talking about the adulterous woman over and over and over again. You say, well, this just seems like overkill. Like, why are they talking about the adulterous woman so much? And then you get to chapter 9, and you see why. Because Lady Folly is further identified in chapter 9 as the adulterous woman. The picture of Folly is the adulterous woman, calling from her house, seducing all those who are passing by. And here's what else is fascinating. Both Lady Folly and Lady Wisdom are calling out from the highest places in the town. Now, what you got to know is that the highest place in the town, that is where the temple is. That's the place of worship. And, and there's a meal for both of them. That both of them are offering a meal. So when a temple is dedicated, there's this grand feast, there's this grand banquet. And what's happening is after the banquet is over, the thought is that the God of that temple comes in and dwells in that temple, takes its seat on the throne of the temple. Now, also, again, for a woman to invite a man into her home, especially in that culture, has very sexual overtones. So here's what's going on. Both Lady Wisdom and Lady Folly are appealing to your desires and your worship. That they're actually together. Now, i got to explain this, that wisdom and desires are woven together because wisdom is saying every single one of us, every single person, every single human being has desires to worship something. Whatever you make number one in your life, the most important thing in your life, that becomes the object of your worship. That's why they both have a temple. 
That's why Lady Wisdom and Lady Folly both have a temple. They're places of worship. And here's the other thing. In Greek culture, though this is a Hebrew culture, but it helps us understand this. In the Greek culture, they have four words for love. We have one word. They have four. And one of those words is eros. And we, we hear that word and we think, oh, this is like a sexual type of love. But actually, it's a love that's built from desires. I mean, it could be desires for anything. It's just a, a loving desire for something or someone. A lot of times people think Christians think that desires are a bad thing. Desires are a good thing. The problem becomes when we have over-desires for something that is not God. And by the way, a lot of our problem is that we have under-desires for God. That's the most, most, much of our problems in life is we're under-desiring God and we are over-desiring something that is not God. So for example, food is a good thing. We need food. It nourishes us. But if you have an over-desire for food, it turns into gluttony. Work is a good thing. But if you have an over-desire for work, some of you are like, I would never have an over-desire for work. Well, it happens. So if you have an over-desire for work, you, you steal time away from your family, you steal your health away because you're working too much, you're not getting enough sleep, or money. Did it just turn on? Don't be distracted by it. Is it working? Okay. Mark's so positive. Okay, listen, listen. Money is a good thing. Don't be distracted. I see you guys. Keep look, look at me. Money is a good thing, but if it becomes an over-desire, here's what happens. You steal if you don't have it. You turn away from the poor in need because you don't want to give it away because you're scared of losing it, and you never can really enjoy the money that you have because you're scared that it's going to go away. And then here's what happens. Your relationships, if you have a lot of money, your relationships are like, can I trust this person? Do they just want my money? What's going on here? So if it's an over-desire, it starts causing issues for us too. Now, Lady Wisdom brings you into the temple of the infinitely wise God. Lady Folly is the adulteress that steals you away from the God you are made for. She steals you away from the God who gives you wisdom. And that's why she's called Lady Folly, because you go and start getting your wisdom not from God, but from other places, and it leads you down foolish paths. Whatever you have as number one in your life, that is dictating where you go for wisdom. So, both Lady Folly, Lady Wisdom, appeal to your desires, inviting you into their house, and Lady Folly does this. She calls out to your reason. She calls out to your healthy desires. She calls out to your faith. Lady Folly seduces you in by your over-desires for something. Starts appealing to your over-desires. Starts causing you to over-desire things. So, but Lady Wisdom appeals to your reason your healthy desires, and your faith. A lot of people will say to me, ah, man, faith and reason are at odds, aren't they? No. This is a book of wisdom in the Bible. Why would it be there if it didn't teach you to, to take your reason and apply it to your faith? And do you see what I'm saying here? They're woven together. Some people will say, ah, 
I'm a person of facts, so I have a hard time with Christianity. And I say, the facts have, is what led me to Christianity. Not away from it, but towards it. And my desires are what led me to Christianity, not away from it. Wisdom is saying this, come on. Think. Reason this out. What's the number one desire you have in your life? Stop looking at it subjectively. Just look at it. Just try to look objectively. What is your great desire? Whatever that is, it's likely the object of your worship. And whatever, that's the thing you go to for wisdom. That's the thing that's sitting on the throne of the temple. And Lady Wisdom brings you to God, and Lady Folly brings you anywhere else. Lady Folly is the adulterous woman because she's stealing you away from the true God. And that's why she's called Lady Folly. Because she brings you to a place where you're going to a phony throne and a phony phony God. Another way to think about this is you say, okay, what do I desire most in life? What do I want most? Whatever you think will give you what you want most, that's where you go for your wisdom. You say, I want this, this thing or this idea or this, I want something so bad and I got to figure out how to get it. How do I get it? How do I get it? And then you find what you think might give it to you and whatever that thing is, that becomes your God. And Lady Folly, she says, you want that? Come into my house. I will give it to you and I'll give it to you fast, and I'll give it to you quick. Everything you want, I can give it to you. What we have is we have this idea of what the good life is for us. You, I mean, we, we, all, we all collectively probably have a, a, a general idea, but we all individually have this idea of what the good life is for us. And wisdom says, look, Go to God and let him define for you what the good life is. He's got a plan for you of what your life should be like. And Lady Folly says, I can give you everything you want. Come into my house. And she promises you everything you want, but all she does is steal the good life away from you. Look at, in our last verses, look at what Lady Folly gives you. Death. I mean, you walk into a nightmare. You walk into this house and you find out, eventually you look around enough and you say, everybody's dead in here. That's what you get at the end when you go to Lady Folly, when she seduces you in. I hope you're realizing too, it's very easy to walk through that door. She is seductive. She offers you everything you want. In the, in the movie, The Chronicles of Narnia, the, the line, The Witch of Wardrobe, if you don't know it, basically there's three kids and they walk through this wardrobe and it turns into another world called Narnia. And they get into this world called Narnia and there's a middle child and he is not happy about his older brother. His older brother is better at him than everything. He's constantly competing with his older brother. His older brother just has better character than him. Everything, he always is falling short of his brother and he's tired of it. Well, this witch comes along He doesn't realize it's a witch um, or Lady Folly. He doesn't realize this, and he 
meets her, and she offers him this dessert called Turkish Delight, and apparently he loves it, builds trust, and then she says, hey, I can give you your own kingdom. You don't have to worry about your brother anymore. Come on. He's excited. That's the good life. That's everything I've been wanting. So goes with her only to find out she imprisons him. And everybody, I mean, there's these, there's these statues all around her place, and they're all dead. They were people who were alive that are now dead. So here's another one, The Little Mermaid. I have kids. Um, so in the movie The Little Mermaid, Ariel, she's the mermaid, Um, what's the dream of Ariel, the little mermaid? Well, she wants to be a human. She wants to have legs and feet, and that's the good life for her. I just want to get to land. I just want to have legs and feet. And so she meets an evil sea witch who, Lady Folly, who says, I can give you that. Only in what happens, I mean, I'm not going to give away the end. I'll give away the middle. She turns into this, I don't even know how to describe it, this shriveled up little soul that is stuck on the cave of this sea which is ground. I don't, I don't know how to explain it, but that is just really weird. But it represents death. I mean, it, look at it. It represents being captive, being stuck. Now, we watch these movies, and we say, oh, why is this person making this mistake? We have the advantage of knowing, having the aerial view, not the air up high, not the mermaid. And so we look down and we see, ah, yes. I see the problem here. We say, ah, I'll never do that. And by the way, that's what Lady Wisdom is trying to do. She's trying to say, that's evil witch, Lady Folly, evil witch. But like these characters, we are blind. We are blinded because of our wants. We're blinded because of the things that we think are the good life. And so we're offered Turkish delight and we say, oh, yes. We're offered our kingdom. Oh, yes, I want to do that. We're, we're offered empty promises. Now, so let's say for you, your idea of the good life is 2.5 kids. Um, you got, yeah, this is the average. So you have 2.5 kids. Uh, <laughs> You have a golden retriever, you have a white picket fence, you have a really nice house in the nice area, town, and you get, your kids get to go to the best school, and you and your spouse are taking long walks on the beach, and everything's great, and your house is filled with laughter, and you're dancing, and you put the kids to sleep, and you dance, and then whatever else happens after that, and you wake up in the morning, and you go to this great job, and you just love everything that's happening, you love your boss, everything's just working out really well. So, this is what you want. And so you say, oh, well, Lady Wisdom is telling me, no, let's look at the life that God has for you. Let's look at the good life that God has designed for you that might not be the same as that. And then Lady Folly comes along and says, nah, I'll give you that. Just come in. Come into my house. And in her house, she says, okay, here's what we got to do. You want that life. Here's what we got to do. You need more money. So what do you do? Well, you start making a few decisions that might not be so ethical, but, you know, uh, it's for a good purpose. And you do that, and then uh, the screen's going off again. Don't, don't, don't look at the screen. Look at me. Uh, so you start saying, I'm going to fudge a little bit here, and then you're like, I need more money. I'm going to work more. See if I can get more money. So you're working hard. You're getting more money, and, and now you're spending less time with your family, 
the idea of the good life is like, well, I can't have it right now, but I can have it later. And so you keep waiting and waiting. Ten years go by. You've missed ten years. You say, but it's okay. I finally have enough money to get what we've been wanting. And so you get the house where you want, or you go and move into somewhere else, or you move across the state or across the country. It's the, finally, this is everything I've been wanting, only to find out that this is expensive to live this way. So you have to continue working. And then the next thing you know, well, now what do I do? Well, i got to keep this going. All right, so then the next thing you know, your life has passed you by. Because you chased something that was never yours to have. You defined what the good life was for you. And it wasn't ever something that you were able to attain. Now, this could be anything. Whatever it is that you're chasing, this is, you don't get what you have been promised. Because you've trusted in your own version of what the good life is. And you are seduced by Lady Folly instead of trusting in the eternally wise God. See, that's the problem we have. Is God really eternally wise? Is he infinitely wise? No, maybe I should just trust myself. And what happened was you put the dream life that you had right on the throne, and that idea controlled every decision that you've made. Or perhaps it's this. You don't like the idea of anything being on the throne. I mean, shouldn't you be on the throne? Shouldn't that throne be yours Shouldn't you be in control over your life? Shouldn't you be the one that decides your destiny? And if you, so this might sound very familiar if you're a control freak or if you're a freedom chaser. So, the, pro, the problem that we have with an infinitely wise God is that he's a lot smarter than us. And so when he says something, we say, okay, well, that's not what I want, but you're a lot smarter than me, so I should probably listen to you. But then Lady Folly comes along says, ah, I can give you that throne. Uh-oh is right. Thank you. That was perfect. Just come into my house and I will give you that throne. She's just promised you, Lady Folly has just promised you a throne that you cannot manage. That throne is too big for you. Guys, we could just give up on the screen if we're... Okay, so <laughs> you have something bigger than you can manage, and your pride will not let you admit that you can't manage that throne. And then watch what happens. So you're sitting on your throne, your supposed throne, and who's the king of your world if you're on the throne? You are. So that means you're the king of everybody else in your life, right? I mean, practically speaking, that's the truth. In your mind, that's what's happening. You would never say it, though. And so here's what happens. You start trying to control people a little bit more, trying to get from them what you want, they start to become kind of pawns. You would never say that, though. And you're trying to control them, and then what happens is you start having unhealthy relationships because you're the king. And no one else sees you as the king, but you do. And so your relationships start messing up. Or... You're desperate for love. Like if you could, you would sacrifice anything if you could just find this perfect relationship. This someone will just love you. So, 
you go to Lady Folly and she says, I got the perfect person for you because you're willing to sacrifice anything to have love. I got the perfect person for you. He's a control freak and it'll be perfect because you can make him, you could put him on your throne and he can just tell you what to do and you're going to be fine with it because you just want someone to love. And so it's a perfect relationship. This happens all of the time in our relationships. Or you're chasing freedom. So you say, okay, the throne, what's on it if you're chasing freedom? This idea of freedom. So all you want is just freedom. Just do what you want to do. And, but you're married and you have kids. And let me tell you, if you're married and you have kids, your, your kids need things from you. Your spouse needs things from you. So then your freedom starts being threatened. So what are you going to do? Well, I've got to find a way to escape now. Or I've got I to just bail. Or you just make a really horrible decision. Because freedom is on your throne. You've got to figure out how to get this freedom back. Here's a sign that you have gone into Lady Folly's house. It's in our middle verses. Talk about the foolish person. You can't correct them. So my question for you is, are you defensive? Or... When somebody says something to you, instead of being outwardly defensive, do you kind of like destroy them in your mind and figure out all the reasons why they're, you shouldn't listen to them and they're a bad person or you dismiss them or you're just being passively aggressive towards them or just something like you talk bad about them behind their back now because they've said something to you because you can't be wrong. That's a sign that you might be down the path of foolishness. The wise, though, say, someone comes and says, hey, I don't know about this that you're doing here. And the wise say, they take a step back and they make an assessment. Okay, should I listen to this person or not? It doesn't really matter if I should or, I mean, should or shouldn't. I'm open to correction because they're wise. I mean, that's what our verses are saying. The wise are open to correction. And so they either say, in their mind, well, that was really good advice. I need to put God back on the throne instead of whatever else I have there that I'm going to get wisdom from the wrong places. Or they say, this person's wrong. They misread me a little bit, but that's fine. Like, I appreciate them doing this. That's what the wise do. Or if you're trying to figure out which path you're on, which house you have entered in, verse 12, what verse 12 is trying to show us is that there's nothing more personal than your faith. There's nothing more personal than where you go for wisdom. There's nothing more personal than what you have put on the throne. What it's showing us is that essentially every single one of us, every single one of you, you have to make your faith your own. What happens a lot of the time is someone's raised up in the church, which is a great thing. Like, don't stop bringing your kids to church because of what I'm about to tell you, but you raise your kids up in the church and in a way they're adopting your faith and they're adopting all the doctrines that you've been teaching them and they're really good at it. Like, they know the doctrines. They're, they're, they're around. I mean, they're like the all-star Christian, little all-star Christian. Only there's one problem. They've bought in to a culture of the church, but they haven't bought into the Christian culture. 
meaning God's not on their throne. Everything looks right, but there's still something like, ah. And, and people grow up in the church this whole time like that, and they never make their faith their own. Let me give you just an example of this. So in, in the South, everyone's a Christian, but not everyone's a Christian. Now, we're not really the South. Like, we have, there's a lot of influences coming into Florida and especially Port St. Lucie, but we do have this Southern influence happening. So here's what happens. Like, my friends who are pastors in the, in the Deep South, um, they're spending a lot of time trying to convince people that they aren't Christians, even though that they think that they are. And you say, well, that sounds rude. But no, it's a simple question. Are you a Christian? I try, yeah. I mean, do you see how hard I'm trying to be good? But you know what? That's not Christianity. Christianity is not about trying hard to be good. Christianity is about realizing I have not measured up, but Christ has come to measure up for me so that I can come into the presence of God blameless, like everything has been set right because all of the things that I've done wrong have been placed upon Christ. That's the premise of Christianity. It's rescue. Not about trying hard to be good, but that rescue changes you. It transforms you from the inside out and you start changing the way you're living. But at the core, Christianity is about a rescue. So, have you made your faith your own? How do we do that, by the way? How do we make our faith our own? And how do we ensure that we have put God on the throne? I want you to see, you're not going to like what I'm about to say, but I want you to, all of us to, I just want to reason with you for a second. We have all gone into Lady Folly's house. We have fallen for her seduction. Actually, that's what the Bible says. Anytime, anytime you sin, what it is, is you've entered in the house of Lady Folly. And here's what happens she calls out to us and we're seduced by her spell. She calls out and we look. See, that's a problem. We're going, it says, those of you who are going down the straight path, Lady Folly calls out and you look. And that's the problem. We've looked. If you're going to, if you're going to, so if you've ever played baseball, there's a, there's a very, I mean, the primary rule, if you're going to hit a baseball, you've got to keep your eye on the ball. If you take your eye on the ball, off the ball, you're going to likely miss. If you're golfing, the idea is you keep your eyes down as long as you can so you make sure you hit the ball well. The same truth is in the negative way. I mean, if, if your kid is riding a bike and you say, look at that hole there. Don't run into that hole. Look at the hole. Don't hit it. What do they do? They run right into the hole. This is our problem. We look. So we're, we're lured by Lady Folly, because we've looked, and the temptation brings us in. The temptation draws us in. She spreads the legs of her door, and we walk in, thinking infinite pleasure is about to happen, when in fact it turns into a nightmare. Everything that was promised us is lost. The good life did not come. And we've all walked into that house. But Solomon, the writer of our verses today, 
He's representing wisdom. But wisdom is representing someone else. Wisdom is pointing us forward. Wisdom is saying there is yet a greater wisdom to be poured out. We have not seen it yet, but it is coming. A kind of wisdom that beats Lady Folly at her own game. Because here's what Lady Folly does. She claims wisdom, but is foolishness. Well, listen. The deep wisdom of God is this. He comes into our world. Despite how crazy that sounds, he comes into our world and he disguises himself as a fool. This is what 1 Corinthians 1 is saying. The cross looks like foolishness, but actually it's the deep wisdom of God. And here's what he does. He comes to claim his throne. And to be dedicated on that throne, to, be, to take his rightful place on the throne, there is a slaughter. The same way that there was a slaughter so that Lady Wisdom and Lady Folly were offering us a, a feast at the dedication, well, there is a slaughter. Only Christ is the one who is slaughtered. Why? Because he comes into the house of Lady Folly. Yet he is not foolish. He's got a mission. He comes into the house for you. And he comes and he dies the death that was coming to you. Then you say, well, what good is a dead king? A dead king is no good. This is the infinite wisdom of God. He's tricked Lady Folly, rises from the grave, you take hold of him by faith. He brings you out of the house of Lady Folly into true freedom where you follow him now and he gives you the deep wisdom of God that makes you say, the cross seems so foolish, not anymore to me. I get it. It's beautiful. I mean, think about this. Isn't it strange that we are, like, you see crosses everywhere? Like, isn't that a strange thing? I mean, it's an instrument of death. Christians have it all over the place because there is wisdom in the cross. Her eyes, just when you just open her eyes and see the deep wisdom of God in it. There's no king that's going to give you what he gives you. There's no other king to trust like you can trust him. He's given his life for you. And he has infinite wisdom. So why wouldn't you just give your life over to him and say, you just tell me how to live. Just give me, just tell me, what do I do? That's what Lady Wisdom is telling us. Go to him. Let's pray. God, uh, help us make sense of all of this. God, let us look at the beauty of the cross. Let us not say, oh, look at the foolishness, but say, oh, look at the wisdom, the deep wisdom of God, the beauty of this plan that was set before time began. God, help us to embrace this truth. And where we're doubting it, 
God, show us the reasons not to doubt. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. And the best way for you to walk right up to Christ and put him on the throne is by communion. Because what's happening in communion is not only every step you take towards communion are you making a faith declaration, not only that, but here's what you're saying. You are the true nourishment for me. I don't need a banquet with food that's offered up to some false god, but I just need you. And so this idea of communion is that Christ is our true nourishment. He's where we're going to spiritually be fed. It's a picture of it. It's a display of the good news that Jesus has come. And it's a display of this narrative that he's come for you. And guess what, guess what it means for you? You get to be part of the narrative. You get to be acted out. Like you are literally acting out what he has done for you when you make these steps towards communion. You are being woven into the story of rescue. That's a beautiful thing to be part of. So, as you're going, here's what we do. There's, behind you, there's pieces of bread that have already been broken, and you take it and you dip it in the cup. Um, there's wine and there's juice, uh, so make sure you get the right one, and don't drink the wine. It's meant to dip in there, okay? All right. So, here's how this beautiful narrative that we're invited into, that we're invited to act out, here's how it happens. The night before Jesus was arrested, before he went to the cross that seemed like foolishness, was actually the deep wisdom of God. He knew it was coming. Here's what he said to his disciples. This is my body broken for you. And he breaks it. He says, every time you eat of this, remember the deep wisdom of God who's come for you, who's died for you, risen for you and who's reigning now as your king remember that and then he takes the cup and he pours out the wine and he said this is the blood the covenant I made with you meaning the blood of the promise that can't be broken that I made with you that I would come for you that I've made a way that despite everything, despite the impossibility of coming and being back in a relationship with God, I've made a way for it to happen. I've made a way to get you out of that house and into the house of God, where there are many rooms. He says, every time you do this, remember that truth. All right, let me pray for us. God, I pray now that uh, you would tug at our wills and that you would bend them towards you. And in all the ways, God, where we want to be rebels, in all the ways where we don't want our wills towards you, but we want to dictate what happens in our life, and we want to be on the thrones, or we want to decide what's on the thrones, God, God, you come and show us why you are the only one who belongs on the throne. Don't let us make the mistake that we keep making, God. Open our eyes so that we might see 
beauty of this wisdom and this truth. God, we don't want this to just stick with us, but we want it your kingdom, your kingship, your kingdom to dwell in us and then through all of our actions and all of our thoughts and all of our emotions, your kingdom would pour out of us into this world. So God, nourish us now so that we might not just be nourished ourselves, but so that we might go and nourish others with this truth. God, show us that we're rescued. Show us we have something to sing about. Show us we have a reason to smile. God, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.